Leviticus 23. What's the theme of Leviticus? It's holiness. It's all about holiness. Again, it's incredible as we've been looking at the seven letters to the seven churches in Revelation. Basically, all of these churches fell off because they stopped living in holiness. And the more we get away from holiness, the more our lives will tailspin and just get out of control as we're going to see with the seven churches. Once again, that theme, holiness, it's to be set apart from this world to then be set apart for a relationship with God and for the work of God. It's that three-step process. We separate ourselves away from this world. Then we set apart our lives for a relationship with God. And then we are ready and set apart for the work of God. And the nation of Israel, they've been asked to be separate from the nations around them in their diet, in the way they dressed, and the way they shaved their beards, and the way they mourned. They were to be set apart and different from the nations around them in their justice system, in their morals, in their sexual conduct, in their discipline of their kids. They've been asked to be separate and set apart from the world around them, Egypt behind them, Canaan in front of them, and now God is going to literally ask for their calendars to be set apart for the Lord. We dive in here, verse 1 and 2, it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, and say to them, The feast of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations. These are my feasts. God is saying to Moses that he needs to proclaim these days to the nation of Israel because they are literally holy call-togethers. That's literally what that word convocation means. It's call together. So God is saying, hey, I have specific holy call togethers, and you need to tell the nation of Israel. The other meaning for this word convocation here in the Hebrew is the word rehearsal. And that's what we're going to see here. God wanted to call the nation of Israel together because they're set apart to be reminded that they've been set apart. And this is also, we're going to see seven rehearsals. That at the end of this, maybe you'll think, ah, oh, it was just all coincidence, it was all luck, right? Just face luck. Or God had all of this as pre-planned rehearsals for the work of Jesus Christ here on earth and then the work of Jesus Christ once he returns. Again, God wanted every aspect of their lives to be set apart for him. Their clothing, their diet, their justice, their morals, their sexual purity, everything, and now even their calendars and our calendars they change depending on the season of life we are in right if you're here and you're single your calendar's pretty easy pretty simple right oftentimes at night you're seeing hey what can we do i'm bored what can i do anybody out there to hang out with but the moment you get married what happens now you have two calendars put together now you have all the holidays and if you're the husband now you need to remember her birthday and you got to remember the anniversary right the wife, again, the same calendar, she has to remember the, the anniversary and the, the birthday as well. Once you have kids, the calendar changes once again, right? And now there's more things to put in the calendar. The husband, he has to remember the anniversary and her birthday. And you get by, really, if those are the only two things you remember, right? A good husband remembers the kids' birthdays and all those other things. The wife, she, now her calendar is crazy, right? She remembers everybody's everything. Always during Christmas, I'm always reminded, right, what's the husband's Christmas list? Wife. 
What's the wife's Christmas list? Everybody else, right? Mom, mom-in-law, this aunt, this uncle, the kids, the kids' friends, everybody, right? And again, our calendars change as we go through seasons in life. And as we've talked about before, before we came to Christ, we were dead in our sins. A dead body in the morgue. And now Christ has taken us, if we've offered our lives to him, if we're following him in his word, he's breathed life into us. And now our calendars should change. Family, is your calendar set apart for the Lord? That's just a very based question for us to ask ourselves tonight. Is my calendar set apart for the Lord? We could turn quickly to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 5. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. What's the second command here? We need to teach them diligently to our children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. Again, we have been called to love God with our everything. Right? Jesus, he doubles down on the same commandment later on in the New Testament. He says all the Ten Commandments are in this. Love God with everything you've got and love your neighbor as yourself. All of the commandments are there. So can we, looking at our calendars, say, I love the Lord. My calendar is set apart for him, right? Again, men, that date in March. I don't know if any of you remember, if you already forgot, right? March 10th through 12th, that's the men's retreat. That's a holy convocation. That's exactly what that is. The marriage retreat in August, the VBS in July, the youth camp in July, all of these dates and retreats, it's a similar aspect where God is calling his people together to be set apart, to be separate, to think of him, to grow with our brothers and sisters, and to spend time being reminded of who we are and what God has called us to do. What does our calendar look like? One of the toughest days for me year after year is Super Bowl Sunday, right? Because I like football, but I'm a pastor and we have a prayer meeting as well, right? But you can tell in someone's calendar, again, what do they love? What do they care about? Right? For some dads, and I've struggled with this too, right? Sunday from 1 p.m. till 8 p.m., the TV's the dads, the couches the dads, nobody bothers him, Right? That's a date on the calendar. That's a holy convocation for him, right? But do we have this time with the Lord, right? And it's real easy. Our calendar, is there that time in the morning where we tell our kids, we tell our spouse, we tell the phone, we tell ourselves on our social media, hey, this hour is set apart for the Lord. Nobody bother me. Don't ask me to do anything. Don't interrupt me. This hour, this is for the Lord, Again, our calendars, do they reflect that we love God with everything that we have? The second definition there was a holy rehearsal. We looked at the scripture last week together. It's in Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 through 17. It says, So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come. But the substance is of Christ. 
Again, this is a holy rehearsal. These seven feasts were a holy rehearsal. That word shadow there in Colossians chapter 2, verse 17, it's an image that's cast by an object and representing the form of that object. I don't know if you remember, if you can remember being in elementary school, right? You would make a shadow and somebody else would try to get a chalk and line up what that shadow looks like. It's literally a sketch and an outline of Jesus Christ. Again, even today, there's this strange movement of wanting to go back to old Jewish traditions. I don't know if you've ever had some, all right? We talk about uh, the seven letters to the different churches, right? I know you're a believer, but if you would only do this or read this book, then you'd be at a higher level of believer, right? And oftentimes they talk about the Sabbath, they talk about the law, and all of that was just a shadow of things to come. All the substance is of Christ. Next time someone wants to ask you to do the law, ask them if they go to Jerusalem seven times a year, right? Because that's a part of the law, is being obedient to these feasts. That's a whole separate subject, right? But these seven annual feasts, they're filled with symbols, signs that all point to Jesus Christ, his work here on earth, and his future work after the rapture, with the rapture, and then on. And many of Jesus Christ's most notable moments happened on the exact days of these feasts. Again, the first four feasts are going to be connected with Jesus' first coming. And then there's a long break. There are months in between. And then the last three feasts are also connected to Jesus' rapture, second coming, and then after. The, that middle ground, that's the church age. That's literally what we're going through in Revelation. There's these first feasts, then there's the summer, which is the church age, and then at the end of the church age will be the rapture when Jesus, he takes us out of here and he calls us home. Verse 3 is the Sabbath. It says, six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation, and you shall do no work on it. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. This work goes way before the law. This day of a Sabbath rest is instituted with Adam and Eve. Again, it, it always hits me. Joe Foch always says, God created man on the sixth day, and then he took a Sabbath day to spend time with Adam the day afterwards. And again, that's the way we should look at the Sabbath. It's a day of solemn rest, but it's that holy being set apart for the Lord day. It's a day to rest, not just physically, but spiritually. To do no work and to spend time with the family talking about the things that God has done for us. Do you have that weekly Sabbath? Again, we've already read Colossians. It's not judging specific days or specific laws. But do you have one day out of the week that you cease from work and you just dwell on the things of God? Parents, right? Take that Sunday and try to wrap all your conversations with your kids about the things of God. What God has done in your life. Some biblical truths, some biblical wisdom. It's also important for us to take time and go worship the Lord with the body of Christ. That's a part of that Sabbath day. The Sabbath day was to remind us the why and who behind those six days of work. 
That's what the Sabbath is all about. Sometimes we just get caught up in the work and, oh, let me put an OT and work an extra day and work an extra day and work an extra day. And sometimes work can become our idol. Sometimes I think for lots of men, work becomes an idol because then we don't have to be thinking about the wife or the kids or all the other things going on. And we're just work, 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 work. But that Sabbath day, it's to remind this man, why, why am I working? Who am I working for? 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. I'm going to start praying this verse every time I eat a meal, right? Lord, I just want to eat, giving you glory right now, right? I'm going to do my best to glorify you in my eating, right? But everything we do and our work, it's holy to the Lord. It's not that I'm working, this doesn't matter, this isn't holy. No, all that we do should be done for the glory of God. Verse 4, here we see the Passover and then the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It says, these are the feasts of the Lord, holy convocations which you shall proclaim at their appointed times. On the 14th day of the first month at twilight is the Lord's Passover. And on the 15th day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread to the Lord. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it, but you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord for seven days. The seventh day shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it. Again, this Passover, we've spoken about this as we've gone through Exodus. And this was a celebration the first month, which was called Nisan. It would happen on the 14th day. And that would be Passover. And that would be to remind them of Jesus, right, of God, saving them from Egypt and giving them a way of escape from the angel of death. So the Lord, the first thing he does is, okay, Okay, Moses, let me see your calendar. They didn't have 365 days back then on their calendar. Moses, let me see your calendar. Okay, every Saturday back then, every Sabbath is mine, right? So right off the bat, 52 days out of the year, those belong to me. Then he says, okay, the first month, the 14th day, that belongs to me. That's the next thing that he's telling him. And this was to remind the nation of Israel of their freedom, of their salvation, of their Savior. Again, it's important for us to have Holidays, right? Where do we get that word holiday? Holy day. That's literally what it means, right? They're not so holy anymore, right? That's a bunch of regattas and drunkenness and people shooting into the sky for no reason, right? A bunch of madness happens on these holidays. But originally they were holy days. Days that were supposed to be, once again, set apart for the Lord. To be thinking of Him and what He's done for us. What would they do on that Passover night? Moses instructed them through the Lord to take a perfect lamb that would live in their home. They'd have to take that perfect lamb. Maybe it even had a little nickname, right? A pet name, right? They'd have to take that perfect lamb and they'd have to kill it. One lamb per family. If they were a poor family, they could share it with two homes. They would then take the blood and spread it with hyssop on the doorpost. Literally making two crosses there on top of their door. Then they would cook the lamb, they would eat the lamb, they would have unleavened bread. We know leaven is a picture of sin and evil, that they'd have no sin and evil. But then they would eat it really with unleavened bread because they had to be ready to run out of Egypt the next day. To the point where God tells them, you're going to eat this meal standing up and you're going to eat this meal with your shoes on. With your bags packed because you've got to be ready to go right away. 
It's easy for us to point the biblical picture of Jesus Christ here in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 through 8. We could turn there quickly. Paul makes this one very simple for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 and 8. It says, Therefore purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice, wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And he dives into this because in verse 6, he says, your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? So again, Jesus is our Passover. Jesus' blood was shed for our lives, that if we claim who he is and who he actually is, right? That he's the son of God. He's the savior of humanity. He died for my sins. He took my place. If we say that, if we confess that, if we look to Christ, now God, he passes over our lives. Now the death of sin, the eternal death of sin, it passes over our lives and we are saved. Jesus died for our sins. He was that Passover lamb. Again, the night he was betrayed, what did they break bread together? They had Passover together. The very night he was betrayed, they broke bread. They had that Passover, again, pointing to Jesus Christ and his work on the cross to save humanity. Next was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It was a week long. We saw that it's from Nisan the 15th through the 21st. There was a Sabbath day, so there's extra Sabbath days at the beginning and at the end of this holy holiday, right? And they would have sacrifices every single one of the seven days. This was speaking on how Israel being saved through the Passover would then walk in purity and without leaven. And again, our lives, so often Jesus says, hey, your sins are forgiven, but go and sin no more. That's the way we should be living. We should be living in holiness, not going back to that old lump like Paul's telling the church of Corinth. You're glorying about your sin and the grace of God forgiving your sin. That's not good. You need to be walking in holiness. This points to Jesus' sacrifice. His burial happening on this day was all happening while he was that perfect unleavened bread. No sin in his life. Not one mistake. He died for us. Acts chapter 2 verse 27 says, For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Jesus was perfect. He lived a perfect life and died taking your sins, taking my sins, taking the sins of the world. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 3 and 4, Paul makes it a point to talk about the death of Jesus Christ in sharing the gospel. And we need to make that a point. So often people, they want salvation, with, they want resurrection without death, right? Just give me that new life, but I don't want any pain or death. No, we have to die to ourselves. We have to crucify ourselves daily and walk with him. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, it says, For I delivered you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Again, we should share the whole gospel. 
We got to share every part of it. Him living a perfect life. Him dying, taking our place. And then resurrecting, right? What's the next feast? It's the feast of first fruits. Verse 9. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I give you and reap its harvest, then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priests. He shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted on your behalf. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. And you shall offer on that day when you wave the sheaf a male lamb of the first year without blemish as a burnt offering to the Lord. Its grain offering shall be two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil, an offering made by fire to the Lord for a sweet aroma. And its drink offering shall be of wine, one-fourth of a hin. You shall eat neither bread nor parched grain nor fresh grain until the same day that you have brought an offering to your God. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. Again, so here, this was to celebrate the first fruits, the beginning of the new harvest season. J. Vernon McGee, making it very practical, he says, the whole nation of Israel would come there to Jerusalem to share in holiness, to talk about God and the things of God, but also business deals would take place as they would all come to meet there in Jerusalem and sharing their first fruits of their crops. And now the priest would come and give thanks to the Lord for their first fruits, the beginning of the harvest season. Oftentimes it would be barley because of how quickly it would grow through this harvest season. And this is the day Jesus resurrects, right? The day after the Sabbath, the day after Saturday, Sunday. Why do we meet at church on Sunday? Why is that our Sabbath? That's the day Jesus resurrected. That's also the day that the Holy Spirit came upon them. We'll see that later on. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, it says, He is the head of the body, the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20, same idea here from Paul. He says, But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits, of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. Again, why is it so important that Jesus died and resurrected? Because he's the first one, he's the trailblazer. And now if each of us are put to death, we put our lives to death with him, then we will resurrect. And we will get to taste of life and that everlasting. Right? There's some people that they try to not think about death. Sometimes we think, hey, if I don't think about death, then it's not there, right? It doesn't really exist. I've never been there with a little kid, right? And you're playing hide and go seek and they think they're playing really well and they just do this. I see you, right? I see you with your hands on your eyes, right? And so often in this world, it's as if people are just trying to forget that every single life form goes through death. Every single human being is going to go through this. I don't know about the immortal jellyfish. We'll talk about that later, right? Another week. But every single one of us, we will go through death. And just because we close our eyes, just because we block our ears, does not mean that each and every one of us have a day appointed to us of death. 
And then we are eternal beings. Another thing we don't like to talk about that often. Every single human is an eternal being, right? Once we're born, we will last for all of eternity. The game changer, right, the game breaker is that if we are in Christ, we experience life and life everlasting. We get to experience life for the rest of our existence for all of eternity. However, if we are not in Christ, what we experience is death for all of eternity. Every single moment where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Where you're being reminded of every time you heard the gospel, every time a family member tried to talk to you, every time someone tried to love on you, that's what you are experiencing for the rest of eternity. That's why it's so important that Jesus is our first fruits because we get to walk in the same way he did. That once we die, we will resurrect with him. That greatest step of faith that every single believer will have to go through unless, right, the Holy Spirit comes, Jesus comes, and he raptures us and he takes us out of there. Verse 15, and you shall count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, From the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be completed. Count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall offer a new grain offering to the Lord. And you shall bring from your dwellings two loaves of two tenths of an ephath. And they shall be of fine flour. And they shall be baked with leaven. Yeah, they should be baked with leaven. They are the first fruits to the Lord. And you shall offer the, with the bread seven lambs of the first year without blemish, one young bull, two rams, and they shall be as a burnt offering to the Lord with their grain offering and their drink offerings, an offering made by fire for a sweet aroma to the Lord. Then you shall sacrifice one kid of the goats as a sin offering, two male lambs of the first year as a sacrifice of a peace offering, and then the priest shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits as a wave offering before the Lord, with the two lambs, they shall be holy to the Lord for the priest. And you shall proclaim on the same day that it is a holy convocation to you, and you shall do no customary work on it. It shall be a statute forever in all your dwellings throughout your generations. When you weep the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your fields when you reap, nor shall you gather any gleanings from your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the stranger. I am the Lord your God. This is the Feast of Weeks. However, we usually call it the Feast of Pentecost, right? And this is 50 days after that Resurrection Sunday, if you would, right? Jesus, he resurrects. He lives 40 days on earth. And then what does he tell the disciples? Wait here. Wait here in Jerusalem until you've received, right, that gift, that power, that dunamis power from the Holy Spirit. And this exact day, this exact Sabbath is the birth of the church. It's the Holy Spirit coming into the lives of these men and women and how, the God, how God would use that for his plan to change this world. To set it right side up and to breathe the life of God and Christ in each and every human being. As he tells us to go all over the world and preach the gospel, making disciples of every nation and every tongue. And again, maybe just a coincidence, that's the exact same day, right, as that feast of Pentecost. Man, are we filled with the Holy Spirit? Do we see the work of the church, right? And we saw that there were two pieces of bread that were given in that wave offering, one with leaven and one without. 
And we're, again, we're saying, man, leaven is a bad thing. Leaven is a sinful thing. And guess what we have in our church? We have sin, right? Why do we have sin in our church? <gasps> you have sin in your church? Yeah, you know why? Because we have sinners in our church, right? That's the way it goes. And now this is the, the only feast, right? We looked at all the sacrifices. This is the only sacrifice that has leaven there. And it's speaking how we can still have this communion with God because of his work. The only thing we bring to the table is imperfection and a bunch of mess-ups. But we are to constantly be coming to him and asking him to cleanse us, to create in us a new heart, to create something new and beautiful. And that's what he's done with the church. We see there at the end there in verse 22, the same idea from the last few chapters, right? To not take everything away, but to leave it there for those who are poorest. A picture also of Ruth and Boaz. And that was a story they would usually be reading together as they'd go through this feast. The next feast, right, after the church age, if you would, is the Feast of Trumpets. Now we begin the second half of these feasts. All of these, they've been done through Jesus' earthly ministry, through the Holy Spirit. Now we have the Feast of Trumpets. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath rest, a memorial of blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it, and you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. The Feast of Trumpets speaks of our ultimate assembly of God's people with the sound of a trumpet. And this is what this was about, was to gather the whole nation of Israel together and they would blow two silver trumpets. And now for each and every one of us, right? First Thessalonians chapter 4. Let's turn there. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. In case you don't believe me or don't believe in the rapture, stare in the Bible. First Thessalonians chapter 4. Verse 16 and 17, it tells us, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Again, the rapture should not be an idea that scares us as believers. This should be a word of comfort to us. That again, before God pours out his wrath on this earth, he's going to pull us out of here. He's going to take us out of here. Some will tell you, oh, the word rapture is not in the Bible. That's true, right? It's that word raptus. That's where we get that word rapture. And it's to be caught away, to be snatched up. And it's a biblical truth for us. And it's something to comfort us in the insane days that we live in to be reminded, hey, there's one day coming and nobody knows that day. Right? Some people, they look at the Feast of Trumpets that happens sometime in October and they think, oh, it has to happen the same day as, as the Feast of Trumpets. That might happen. That will be cool. Bible also says no one knows the day or the hour. So I don't know how that all balances out. I wish he'd come tonight and not wait till October, right? That's my plan. That's my hope. That's my prayer. Uh, but again, just a picture of Jesus as they would call the nation of Israel together with those two trumpets. Christ one day is going to call all of us together with that sound of a trumpet. I hope you're there with me as well. Verse 26, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, also the tenth day of the seventh month shall be the day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation for you. You shall afflict your souls. 
and offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. You shall do no work on that same day, for it is the day of atonement, to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. For any person who is not afflicted in the soul on that same day shall be cut off from his people. And any person who does any work on that same day, that person I will destroy from among his people. You shall do no manner of work. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations and all your dwellings. It shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest, and you shall afflict your souls on the ninth day of the month at evening. From evening to evening, you shall celebrate the Sabbath. Again, we've looked at this a couple times already. This day of atonement was the one day a year that the high priest would go. First, he'd offer sacrifice for his own sins. He would have to be cleansed. And then he would go there into the Holy of Holies be there with the God and the presence of God, and he would offer up that sacrifice for the nation of Israel's sins. And as the priest was doing that, the rest of Israel was to afflict themselves. They would fast on that day, thinking about the sacrifice being made for their sins. Again, some people, they take the sacrifice of Jesus Christ so lightly in their lives. I hope each of us feel the weight of our sin. What does it mean that someone died for me someone literally died for you is there that weight there so the nation of israel they would fast right that doesn't sound like a fun feast right hey i want to invite you over for a party nobody's eating right nobody's eating nobody's drinking no work you just got to sit there and then think about everything that's happening but that's exactly what the lord had for them to think about the sacrifice being made for their sins the day of atonement it speaks of uh, david guzik he points out the ultimate perfect atonement of Jesus on our behalf, but it also speaks of the affliction and salvation that Israel will see during the great tribulation. In Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 7, it says, Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. Again, during the tribulation, the bride of Christ, the church, is gone and taken out of here. But those Jewish people that remain, many of them will be blinded to the work of the Antichrist. And it's not till they're going through the tribulation that their eyes are finally opened when the Antichrist asks and demands to be worshipped there on the Temple Mount. So again, the pain here. The pain in these men and women's souls knowing that they betrayed their true Savior. They betrayed their true Messiah. Verse 34, the Feast of Tabernacles or Feast of Booths. I think this would be all the kids' favorite holiday here. It says, Then to the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel. The fifteenth day of this seventh month shall be the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days to the Lord. On the first day there shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it. For seven days you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. On the eighth day you shall have a holy convocation. And you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. It is a sacred assembly. And you shall do no customary work on it. These are the feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations. To offer an offering made by fire to the Lord a burnt offering and a grain offering, a sacrifice and a drink offerings, everything on its day. 
besides the Sabbaths of the Lord, besides your gifts, besides all your vows, and besides all your free will offerings, which you shall give the Lord. So again, God says, besides your Sabbaths, besides your customary going to church, besides your customary offerings to God, besides your customary worship to God, you should spend extra days and extra time trying to see God. Blocking out the calendar to seek God. Again, that's the whole point of these retreats. The church doesn't make any money on these retreats. That's not the point of it. The point is for you to get away with like-minded and like-hearted people to hear from the Lord. And so often that's exactly what happens. People go on the marriage retreat and man, their marriage gets saved. A guy goes on the men's retreat and he has no friends, he has no one at the church and he goes, he gets plugged in, now he has a brotherhood, now he wants to serve. His wife says, man, who is this? That's what happens. The youth, they go on a camp, they go on a retreat, they get saved, they dedicate their lives to the Lord. The young adults, again, the lack of cell service, all that stuff, it points to us spending extra time to get away and hear from the Lord. Again, we take family vacations, why? To get away and spend extra time with our family. So that there'd be those special monumental times where there's no distractions and we just get to spend time with our kids, our spouse, our family. How much more should we have these extra days to spend time with God? Verse 39, also on the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the fruit of the land, you shall keep the feast of the Lord for seven days. On the first day there shall be a Sabbath rest, and on the eighth day a Sabbath rest. And you shall take for yourselves on the first day the fruit of, tree, of beautiful trees, palm, branches of palm trees, the bog of leafy trees, and willows of the brook. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It shall be a statute forever in your generations." You shall celebrate it in the seventh month, and you shall dwell in booths for seven days. All who are native Israelites shall dwell in booths, that your generations may know that I made the children of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So Moses declared to the children of Israel the feasts of the Lord. Again, these booths, what does this mean? You got to go to a restaurant and sit in a booth for seven days, right? Is that what he's talking about here? No, they would live in tents. They would live in tents. They'd take a whole week out of the year, and they'd set up a tent out of these palm branches and all of these things, and they'd build a tent in their backyard, and they would live in that tent for seven days with their whole family. Some of us who say, ah, oh, that's awesome. Some of us that'd be terrible, right? I can't sleep outside of my house. But why would they do this? They would do this so that they would be reminded how God always provided for them. How God always provided for them. Right? You look at the nation of Israel, they go a year and a half and they're there at the promised land. Two spies say, hey, let's go, let's do it. God has it for us. The other ten, they give a bad word in. Ah, we're all going to die. So then they spend the next, right, 38 and a half years, 40 years wandering in the wilderness. Yet every day, bread would rain down from heaven except the Sabbath. Every day, right, the quails would come and land saying, eat me, right? Every single day. It says their clothing didn't wear out, their shoes didn't wear out. And this was a significant time for families to spend time together. And the older generation telling the younger generation how God has always provided for them. Again, has anyone here really spent that day hungry, right? 
That day where God didn't provide for them. How God, he promises us the righteous will never be forsaken. The righteous will not be begging for bread. Are we reminded of that? And again, what I've taken the most out of this chapter is how often am I, as a parent, talking with my kids about the things God has done for me? How often am I doing that? Because that's a biblical commandment for us. Hey, this is who daddy used to be, but look at what God has done. Hey, this is how God provided for us as a family in this day and this day and this season and this season. Again, giving as much as we can to our kids. Because our, our kids, they, they have a, the blessed privilege of not having to go through all the pain and agony I had to go through through my sin and my rebellious living. But sometimes they think, eh, this isn't so great, right? You don't know what you got till it's gone. And you could grow up in the church and you think, eh, the world actually looks pretty great. I don't know what you're talking about, Dad. That's why it's so important for us to talk with them as much as we can about our highs and about our lows, about our sins, about our past, and how Jesus has saved us and changed us and transformed us. This Feast of Tabernacles speaks of the millennial rest in the comfort of God for Israel and for all of God's people, that we're going to spend a thousand years living in perfection, God providing for us. God taking care of us. In Zechariah 14, you could look it up when you get home. It tells us that we will celebrate this tabernacle feast, right, during the millennium. So again, God, he's provided for us. Do we take time out, extra time out to spend time with the Lord? Parents, are we taking that time to talk with our kids about the things that God has done for us? Have we accepted that Passover lamb for our sins, right? For our lives, that Jesus died for our sins and the sins of the whole world. 